Thank you. And um, before we begin, I'm wondering if we could have a start with a prayer. Dear Father, we pray for the guidance and inspiration of the Holy Spirit. For I have nothing to say of my own, nor do I have any wisdom of my own. But we pray for your wisdom and your guidance this day that we might know the way to go. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I've been, I originally entitled the sermon The Law of Life, but I, after studying the material some more, I decided that it really should be called The Law of Love. And I am taking this sermon for the greater part from Patriarchs and Prophets, which I've been reading lately. And there's a chapter called The Law Given to Israel. And it was given to Israel, as you know, after they left Egypt. And when I read this chapter about two weeks ago, I was astonished how ignorant I was of the real meaning of the law. I had seen the law, I had a misconception about it, that it was a set of rules given to a bunch of slaves who didn't know what to do, and these were like basic guidelines, kind of like your drill sergeant gives you when you go in the army. Okay, salute officers, um, make sure your weapon's empty when you're carrying it around, and it was just a bunch of rules. And later on, God, when God sent Jesus, he he kind of went to the next level and talked about love. So it, my misconception was it started with a bunch of rules, and after the slaves learned a little bit and were all slaves of sin, then he started teaching us about love. But when I read Patriarchs and Prophets, I was astonished to discover that the Ten Commandments are a reflection of the law of love. And Every principle in them is based upon the law of love. Now, there's some three or four basic points that I'm going to state at the beginning of the sermon. So if anybody asks you what the sermon was about, you can tell them that it was about the Ten Commandments and the principles behind it. And I want to start by reading from Patriarchs and Prophets. And the first principle, one of the first principles she gives in this book is that the law was given not just for Israel. It was given for all people. And the people of Israel were supposed to be teachers and guardians of the law. Let me read. The law was not spoken at this time exclusively for the benefit of the Hebrews. God honored them by making them the guardians and keepers of his law. But it was to be held as a sacred trust for the whole world. The precepts of the Decalogue are adapted to all mankind, and they were given for the instruction and government of all. Now notice the principles that are, giving, that are given out here. The law is universal. It's not just for Israel, but it's for all people everywhere, and it's given for all mankind through all time. Now, that's in part a reflection of the principle where God says, I am the Lord who changes not. Okay? He doesn't have 
one rule for you today and another rule for you on Saturday nights, okay? It's the same, same law all the time. And this is a principle that has been largely abandoned in our society and in science also. I was a physics major in college and I graduated in 1975 and about oh, 20 years, 30 years after I graduated, they came up with a new principle called inflation. And this new principle says that the laws of the universe are not invariant, they are not constant, they change. And the reason they came up with this new principle called inflation was that they couldn't explain how the universe was created because they did mathematical models and they calculated the mass of the universe and they tried to estimate if it was a big explosion, how the dust came together as planets, and they found that, that there was not enough mass in the universe for it all to come together and clump together as planets. It would have stayed as dust and never, maybe there were little clumps to come together, but it would have just kept expanding outward, and instead of getting forming planets, it just would have gotten more and more sparse out in space. So they said, hmm, well, that we know the Big Bang Theory is true. It must be true, so we have to change the laws of the universe. And, and they say, well, the laws of gravity were stronger right after the big explosion. Well, if the laws were stronger, the explosion would have sucked itself into itself, but never mind. But it's, it's really an important principle that you remember that the laws never change, and they're constant throughout the whole universe. Now, we as Seventh-day Adventists, we as Christians, are given the law as a special treasure. She, go, later on in, the, in this chapter, she says that it was the foundation and the treasure of the national government of Israel, the laws, the Ten Commandments. And so this is something that we are to follow and to practice and to teach others. Now, anyway, so the, the first principle really is that the law is universal and it's given for all people. The next principle is that we are supposed to be teaching, practicing and teaching this to all people. We are ambassadors, God's ambassadors wherever we go of his principles and his law. Now, the next principle is that, as I've already mentioned, that the Ten Commandments are based upon the law or the principle of love. And let me read what she says. Ten precepts, brief, comprehensive, and authoritative, cover the duty of man to God and his fellow man, and all are based upon the great fundamental principle of love. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. So this principle of love, which is, is carried out in the Ten Commandments, was amplified and exemplified in the life of Christ. 
And we go through this growth as Christians where our understanding of the law expands and grows. And I think that's one of the greatest things I like about being a Christian is that we're, we can constantly grow and learn. I started reading Patriarchs and Prophets, I don't know, some 20 years ago, and I didn't really get anything out of it. Now, the book didn't change in 20 years. It still says exactly the same thing, but I changed because I think my understanding grew. I mean, now when I read it, I go, wow, that's astonishing. When I read it 20 years ago, it was like, it was kind of boring to me. You know, it was just a history, you know, and I wasn't really crazy about history then. And, and, but there's incredible principles. And so every day we grow and change, and I think we're more capable of understanding God's will as we grow in our faith. And that gives me encouragement because it means that we, that I, and we don't have to remain ignorant and um, ignorant, lazy, and stupid all of our lives. We can grow in, in knowledge and faith. And that gives me a lot of hope. But it, it also gives me that idea that we can grow helps me to extend grace to other people. Everyone I meet, when I see other people, I don't see them as they are. I try to see them as they're going to be once God's grace has, is finished working on them. And so when I'm working with people, I can give them the benefit of the doubt. I can assume that, well, maybe they didn't do so well today, but tomorrow they're going to do better. And so it gives you hope. And it makes it easier to work with other people. You can forgive them easier because you, you have this hope that they're going to do better. And if you don't believe that, that every, there's hope for everyone and that they're going to do better, then you yourself are living a hopeless life because it means that if your neighbor can't do better, you can't do better either. We depend upon God's guidance to guide us through every day. And I mean, as, as there's, I know there's a couple of doctors and medical students in here. And as a dentist, uh, I go to take care of people almost every day. And I love going to work because I feel that I'm going to see miracles happen. I count on, when I walk through the door in the morning, I'm, I'm praying and I'm counting on God to, to work miracles to help me to help people. And I am never disappointed. There's hardly a day that goes by when I feel like he hasn't shown me how I can help and encourage either the students I'm working with and teaching or the, the patients. Just Friday, um, there was a student, he was making, I mean, this is a very simple example. He was making dentures and it normally takes about seven appointments to get dentures made at the dental school because we do things very slowly and it has to be checked and double checked. And he had already spent three or four appointments and wasn't making much progress. And I showed him some shortcuts where he could cut three of these appointments out and do, do a bunch of stuff at once, take impressions and get bite registrations all at the same time. And we saved him about two, two appointments and he was really grateful. He goes, 
Dr. Trot, you saved me two days of work. I am really grateful. And every time, and I saw him again, well, this was Thursday. I saw him yesterday, and he sees me, and he kind of goes by, and he bows a little bit when he, when he goes by. He was so grateful. So, you know, even in the little things, God can bless us. And I'll give you another example. This morning, my wife was telling me she works at the hospital. She was talking to her friends, and they were telling her. One of them started saying, my car was broken into, and they stole my son's wallet and his Social Security card and his driver's license, and somehow they hacked into his Amazon account, and they ordered a new computer, and they had it delivered to his house, but these guys, they knew they were tracking it. They knew when it was going to get there, so they waited in their car in front of his house, and when the UPS truck drove up, they jumped out of the car and went up to the truck and said, is my computer here? And they showed them this stolen driver's license, so the UPS driver gave them the computer, and they ran off with it. And, um, it, you know, they were really upset about this. Fortunately, he called up the, the company he ordered it from and explained what had happened. And by an act of grace, the company sent him another one. And they didn't have to do that, but that was a miracle. But anyway, my wife is telling me, and then other people started saying, well, my house was broken into, and my RV was broken into, and everybody was saying about how they've been robbed. And my wife is going, you know, we should get an alarm system, and we should get bolts and locks for the doors, and we should do all this. And I said, wait a minute. How long have we been married? She goes, 25 years. I said, have we ever had anything stolen? She goes, no, not once. We've never had anything stolen from us. And it's not like there's been opportunities. I mean, sometimes I go to bed at night and I forget to lock the garage door. The garage is wide open. You know, you can see it a little bit from the street. Sometimes I forget to lock the front door. Um, I do a lot of things. I remember I was, we were invited to Greece my wife and I, by the Ambassador General of the Republic of Taiwan. And while we're in Greece, we went to Santorini. Is it Santorini Island? It's this beautiful island in, in, off of Greece, and all the buildings are painted white. They're very old buildings. And it's, real, it's a very, very popular tourist attraction. And you'll go there, and you'll see people from Germany and Japan and China, and there's just thousands of tourists. And one of the attractions are, of the island is, it's, it's, on, it's kind of a volcanic type hill, and if you go around down to the beach and you want to go up, you can ride a donkey up to the top. It's about a 20 minute ride on a donkey up to the top of the mountain, and uh, for a, a few dollars, I don't know, five dollars, you can ride this donkey up. So I, I said, okay, I want to ride the donkey up. And we all got on donkeys, and we're riding up the hill. And we got to the top of the hill, and I reached behind to grab my wallet to pay the guy, and my wallet wasn't there. And here we are, 6,000 miles from home, and I just lost my wallet. My driver's license, my credit cards, I mean, I was like in a state of panic, and I was scared witless. And we were with Elizabeth Chu, who was the ambassador general of the Republic of 
China or which is Taiwan. And I said, oh my gosh, I must have dropped my wallet somewhere when we were sitting on this donkey. So I go running down the hill and I was really scared. And it was about, I don't know, maybe a mile and a half or so down this hill. And I ran all the way down. And I got to the bottom of the hill. And I'm run as I'm running, I'm scanning back and forth and looking and looking and running sides from side to side on the road to see if I can. And as I get to the bottom of the hill, and there's nowhere else to run, there's a man sitting down there on the, on the curb on the side of the road. And he sees me running down, and he stands up, and he holds out a wallet, and he says, is this yours? And, and um, now there are pickpockets everywhere in Greece and in Santorini, and so you don't, I mean, if you lose something, you'll never, you'll never see it again. And it was a Canadian tourist, and he had, um, he'd just been starting to walk up the hill, and he found the wallet there, and he goes, well, whoever owned it's going to come back, so I'll just sit here for a few minutes and wait for them to come back. And when he saw me running, he said, I knew it was you, <laughs> because you were in a, in a state of panic. And so I... I trudged back up the hill, and the ambassador was there, and I told her the story how we found the wallet again, and she goes, now she was a, a Buddhist, and she goes, you, you have a very powerful God. <laughs> and I, you know, I thought about that, you know, and we really do, and, and I mean, that's kind of an example. I feel very much under divine protection. And, I mean, our house has never been robbed. Now, that's not to say it won't be robbed tomorrow. And we'll still thank God, even if it does. But I kind of sense God's protection in, in all the things I do. And all the things we do. And it's not because I'm any better than any, anyone else. I'm not. But I feel like in order to enjoy God's love, you have to be willing to accept it. You have to have confidence that it's there that God really loves you and he's looking out for you and that he's going to help you and bless you and 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 he really does he's I believe God is looking for opportunities to bless us but there's lots of times when we're so skeptical so doubtful that he wants to bless us but we won't accept the blessing it's like when I was in school, uh, one of my teachers, every time he'd see me, my teacher would say, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. <laughs> and I thought, what, why does he keep saying that every time he sees me? You know? <laughs> and, and I think it's because, and this was before I was a Christian, and I was, I, you know, here I was about 17 or 18, and when you're that age, you know everything, right? And, and you can't, you don't need to listen to anybody because they don't have anything important to tell you. You already know everything. But it took me a while to find out that I didn't know everything. And in fact, I mean, with each passing day, I learned how, how ignorant I really am. So, but I think God really loves us, and he expresses this love in a thousand different ways. He expresses it by... Uh, at, I mean, look how strange and wonderfully we are made. How I, I, I work with dental students, and 
they are extremely gifted people. They're intelligent. They're, they're, they have really good hand skills, most of them. I'm, I'm astonished how, how I watch some of them move. And some of them, when they're talking, I can't do this, but when they're talking, they're, they're kind of going like this, and they're moving their hands, and it's like they're all Italian. You know, they're, they're waving their hands around. And I'm watching their hands, and it's like watching a swift or a sparrow fly through the air when they move their hands. I mean, it's just this, it's like a symphony of motion. And I'm just kind of watching them going, you know, how can they move like that? They're so graceful. But God has given us this, this gift of, they have really gifted hands. But God has given us many, many different gifts. And all of you have been given gifts too. I believe that God has given each of us at least three different gifts, special gifts. And our, one of our jobs as Christians is to find out what everyone else's gifts are and try to encourage the development of those gifts. Now, as parents, I mean, a lot of times we want our children to follow in our footsteps. You know, it's kind of an honor when your children, if you are a doctor, your children want to become doctors, or if you're a policeman, your children want to become, it's a way of saying that they admire you and they respect you. So it's kind of natural that we want our children to follow in us. But God has often given, our, given children different gifts than we have. And we have to try to discover what they are and encourage them in that. And I think of Mary Angeli's daughter, who is really a good and outstanding student. She's insightful. She is courageous, persevering, uh, long-suffering. She has a lot of really interesting gifts. Um, and God is developing those gifts by putting her through an extremely difficult nursing program. This isn't, she's not going to Loma Linda nursing. She's going to a school where the teachers delight in making the students miserable. And, you know, I, for me, that's hard to understand because I try to encourage my students. And if my students make a mistake, I try to cover it up or I try to... Yeah, we, we, it's like, uh, I'll say, oh, I'm sorry I did that. I don't say, why did you do that? I say, oh, I'm sorry I did it, and I'll apologize to the patient and make it look like it's my fault. Try to protect the students. But there's a lot of schools that don't. And I, I think I've told some of you the story before. I met someone that went to Northwestern Dental School in Evanston, Illinois, and he told me that the professors deliberately tried to humiliate them in front of the patients and they would call them stupid and ignorant. I mean this is in front of patients and this student, well he was now graduated, he was now practicing orthodontist, he said he hated school. It was just a horrible, horrible experience. And that reputation got out on the street and eventually Northwestern Dental School closed because nobody wanted to go to school there because they'd heard it was a really ugly place. And, and it used to be the best dental school in the world. There was a dentist called G.B. Black. He was called the father of modern dentistry. And uh, I don't know who we could compare him to, 
He was kind of like Semmelweis or maybe Pasteur or somebody in dentistry. But he was really famous. He wrote a lot of books. In fact, um, I just got one of his books and I'm reading it now and I'm fascinated at how insightful he was. He was brilliant. And he used to be the dean at Northwestern. So they went from being the very best to being one of the worst schools in the world. And it's because the instructors were not kind and gracious. They were not Christian in a very real sense. And so we as, we as individuals have to try to find out what the gifts are of those around us and encourage them and develop them. So now there is a lot of misconception about the law of God. And I want to read to you a quote from a man named Jacob Needleman, and he's, I believe, is a professor of religion or uh, religious philosophy at, in San Francisco, or was, and this is what he says. As for Western religion, the Judeo-Christian tradition has sometimes been perceived, rightly or wrongly, as presenting a fierce moral demand. In other words, do this or I'm going to punish you. It, uh, it presents a fierce moral demand, a commandment that the individual override his instinctive emotional nature and conform his life to standards that suffocate the vital forces within the body and the heart of every human being. That's how some people see Christianity and the Jewish religion. It's a list of rules. You do this or else you will be crushed like a bug. And that's the way a lot of people see it. I remember when I was in sixth grade, we were taking a history course, History of the United States, and in this history book, they talked about the early Puritans when they came in, and there was a quote in there from a sermon given by one of the early Puritans, and in this, this here I'm in sixth grade reading this, and it says, God holds you like a loathsome insect over the gates, over the burning fires of hell. You know, this is the, the view that some people have of Christianity. And that's what they taught us in school, that Christianity was this horrible religion where God is just looking for a reason to, to drop you into the fire, and which is the complete opposite of what, what's going on. The complete opposite. God loves us dearly. And God isn't trying to suffocate the vital forces in us because, or the innate compassion within our human hearts because there isn't a lot of innate passion in the human hearts. I mean, there is to an extent. A mother's love is, is a beautiful thing. But there are entire countries and entire generations, if you study history, that seem to be completely devoid of compassion. Uh, the Bible says that, that what does the Bible say about the human heart? 
deceitful of all things. What does it say? Made of stone. Okay. The Bible paints a very different picture of the human heart, that it's cold as stone, that it's deceitful. And I'll just read a couple of passages that, that Dan mentioned here. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Another one, and that's from Jeremiah. Here's one from Matthew. For the people's hearts have become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. They have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them, Jesus said. Or later on, he said, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away, what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. So I think the human heart by nature has a lot of improvement that needs to be done to it. We are very much like plastic. We can be formed into any shape and into any any position that those want to want our manipulators want us to accept. I've read recently that the United States Army, for example, have you ever heard of buck fever? If you've ever gone hunting when you're young and you see a deer and you, let's say you're hunting with your father and you see a deer and you go to pick up your gun, you're 16 years old and you're just about to shoot the deer, a lot of people can't pull the trigger because they see this beautiful deer and they get scared and they start sweating and, and they don't want to kill the deer. It's called buck fever and they won't pull the trigger. In fact, my dad was telling me when we used to visit my grandparents' farm in Wisconsin and the neighbors took him out hunting and he went out and he bought a gun and he's hunting with them and he saw a deer and he went to shoot it he said, I couldn't pull the trigger. I just couldn't do it. And everybody laughed at him and called him a, a sissy, and, but he couldn't shoot the deer. But the soldiers in the army have the same problem. When they see an enemy, sometimes they're afraid to shoot. Well, the army has a new cure for that. They get them to play video games where they're killing somebody every 30, every five seconds, you know, in these video games. And then they find when they go out into battle, they're more likely to do it. So we are very plastic by nature. We can be molded for good. We can be molded to be kind. We can be molded to be cruel and unkind. But the, the Lord is trying to mold our hearts after the example of Christ and make us kind, kind-hearted. And... I have to say, looking back at my own life, that that must have been a really, really hard job for the Lord. <laughs> you know, because to, to try to teach someone to be kind and gracious and patient, long-suffering, that's just not in, it certainly wasn't in my nature. And it's something I struggle to learn every day, to be patient and kind with people. In fact, I've, one of the things I've learned is when I'm in a conversation with people, I'll, they'll say something that will maybe upset me, and I'll just I'll start to respond. And I've learned that I have to say the opposite of what I'm thinking. 
I'll, I'll want to say something nasty or sarcastic, and I'll have to say something like, oh, thank you. Thank you for sharing that information with me. Um, you know, so I found that my native inclinations are the opposite of what Christ would do. And I have to, I'll deliberately, in, in instances when I'm under stress, say the opposite of what I'm really thinking. Because what I'm really thinking would be the wrong thing to say. So I think the Lord has a lot of work to do on all of us. Now, the concept that God's commandments suffocate the vital forces within us is an astonishing delusion. It's a delusion because the vital and essential forces within us are often absent in the human heart. Um, the idea that we know what's best to do by, by consulting our opinions is a myth. And I found a quote here. I was reading yesterday in, one, in the news, have you heard of Chelsea Clinton? She's the daughter of Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton. And she's gotten to be a kind of a, a celebrity of sorts. And she's working for the Clinton Foundation. And they interview her on the New York Times and in Vanity Fair magazine. And all these people want to interview her because they suspect she's going to run for president someday. She'll be the next president. So everyone is, wants to be her friend. And um, she. Listen to, but, but here's the way that she was thinking. Now, they're interviewing her. This was an interview that uh, appeared in an article in Vanity Fair magazine. And they said, here are Chelsea's thoughts on returning to red meat in her diet. Now, for a while, she cut red meat out of her diet because she'd heard it had a lot of fat, a lot of cholesterol, and it was bad for you. So she cut it out of her diet because a lot of her friends were doing that. And of course, politicians are very trendy, so she cut, cut out red meat. But she went back to eating red meat, and listen to the reason why. I went back to eating red meat because I am a big believer in listening to my body's cravings. Okay, so she made the decision based upon an internal feeling. She liked the way it tasted. She liked the way she felt when she ate it. So it must be the right thing to do. Now, let's say we make that a general principle. If your body craves it, you must have it. What happens when, now I notice over there in the kitchen, there's about 40 cupcakes over there. And I really like cupcakes. I need, I need, maybe I could be the first one into the kitchen after the sermon, okay. <laughs> um, but there's a thousand things. I, I, Kelly, you can probably relate to this. I remember I was in, in the Army when I was in Vietnam. There were lots of circumstances where there was conflict between the Americans and the Vietnamese. 
And sometimes the Americans responded in, in very violent ways because they felt like it. But, and you've all heard of Lieutenant Kelly. He ended up shooting some civilians in a village, and he was court-martialed and sent to prison for that. But he was angry, and he took some steps that he later regretted. I think following our inner feelings or our cravings, our anger, our passions, my God, what would the world be like if we all followed our passions? It would be unbearable, unlivable. So, but the world, I mean, here we have well-known people teaching that we should follow our cravings. I think that's really dangerous, and it makes me grateful that I'm a Christian. So I'd encourage you, in closing, to consider going back and reading books like Patriarchs and Prophets, and especially this chapter, it's called um, The Law Given to Israel, because it changed my whole impression of what the law was about. I saw the law as a set of restrictions, and it's really the law, God's law is based on the principle of love. And the idea, well, here, let me read from it as our closing work. If I can open it up here. It says, talking about the idea of love, Jehovah revealed himself not alone in the awful majesty of judgment and as lawgiver, but as the compassionate guardian of his people. I am the Lord God who brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Now, none of us were, were slaves in Egypt. But we, are, we were all slaves to sin. And it was God who brought us out. And for this, I'm very grateful. And I, I've told you this before. I mean, I grew up in Chicago, um, on the streets of Chicago. And it's only a crime to get caught. It's only a crime to steal if you get caught. At least that's what my friends told me and when I was growing up. And my best friend ended up in Cook County Jail. Now, I could probably as, as easily have ended up there as him, but I didn't. And I, and I thank God for that because I feel like God plucked me out of, of sl the slavery of sin and ignorance. And for that, I'm really grateful. I mean, I meet, when I meet people that I used to know from long ago, some of them are really surprised that I became a doctor, a dentist. You know, I, and I feel like God has really blessed me. And I think he's blessed all of us in many special ways. He's freed us from the slavery of sin. And for that, we should be very grateful. So God's law is not a restriction. It's an expression of his love for us. And it's like a, a barrier around us to protect us. To protect us from destroying ourselves and destroying everyone around us. So that's something we should be grateful for. Why don't we have um, uh, Daniel, could you come up as our head elder and give a closing prayer?
please. Why did you 